Hi, I'm Sam Cowan. I'm your host of the Smarter Coaching Podcast. Uh, On this podcast, I seek to bring in coaches, sports scientists, or others involved in coaching primarily endurance athletes, although we will delve into team sports from time to time. If you have a suggestion for a future guest, you can email me at smartercoachingllc at gmail.com. You can also visit the website, smartercoachingllc.com, where you can uh, access old episodes. Please, I ask of you to subscribe to this and leave a review wherever you get your podcast. So with that, let me introduce you to today's guest. Welcome to this week's episode of the Smarter Coaching LLC podcast. And I'm excited to have Glenn Young from Vancouver on with me who, to talk about physical literacy. He's a real mover and shaker in that area. And uh, we were introduced, put in contact by our mutual friend, Steve Boyle from 2 for one Sports. And um, I had actually, just not long before Steve put us in contact, read a piece that Glenn had written on LinkedIn about physical literacy. And I, it took me a few minutes. I finally put two and two together on that. So, Glenn, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Sam. It's uh, great to be with you. So how about sharing with folks a little bit of your background and how you got involved in physical literacy? Certainly. Uh, I've been a phys ed teacher all my life. Uh, high school phys ed has been my, uh, my passion. And uh, I taught for 15 years. And then prior to the, or after that, I moved to a once-in-a-lifetime district uh, coordinator position up here in the metro Vancouver area. It's a school district called Surrey, and it's the largest school district in our in our province, be the equivalent of your state. Um, you know, we have 126 schools, uh, 75,000 kids, and about eight to 10,000 teachers. So I was in charge of phys ed and athletics for that school district for my last 20 years of my career. And it's it's the learnings from that 20 years experience plus my 15 years that uh, – in the, in the classroom or in the gym that really sort of helped form uh, my philosophy around, you know, what physical education is and, and what physical literacy is. So that's kind of a little bit about that. So physical literacy is a, a term that's tossed around a lot, and there, there are a few variations on the definitions. And I would say for the most part, they're all pretty similar. But um, what's kind of your working definition of physical literacy? Yeah, I, I try not to get too embroiled in definitions anymore. Um, you know, 99.9% of the people don't really care about the definition. Most people cannot even articulate, um, what these definitions are. So the only people that really are concerned about these definitions are the people who crafted them. And I was one of those people. Uh, but, uh, so that's why I feel like that. I, I, my kind of street friendly, uh, definition is really the disposition to enjoy being physically active for life. And I think that's something that is repeatable and understandable by the public. Yeah, I, I like the simplicity of that. I've seen many more complicated things where you've got a run of adjectives and nouns that are separated by commas and it gets a little unwieldy. It seems like that, um, you know, it's, it looks like a definition put together by a committee. Absolutely. And, and as I say, you know, I, I'm guilty as charged. I was one of those people that, that initially started with the, um, the Canadian definition. And then, um, you know, we, we would debate over 
the placement of a word or the type of word and you know and it's like okay but who like the the teacher in the field doesn't really care like they won't most night like i said 99.9 percent of teachers would not uh, or any practitioner would not be able to articulate any one of those definitions they'll they'll get you know some of those pieces of movement competence or confidence or motivation and like they'll get some aspects of it but they won't get the whole thread and so you know we we lose we lose the intent of what we're trying to do by focusing too much on a on a textbook definition what's interesting you bring up that you were involved in the you know in in the definition development of it Maybe share with folks a little bit of the history of, of physical literacy and, and kind of how did that come about of uh, getting a group together to kind of study this and figure out what's going on? Yeah, the, the, the term physical literacy has been around since around 1930. And uh, it was actually an American that was using the, uh, that term. Uh, but it had a, its resurgence through uh, Dr. Margaret Whitehead. And that's where, you know, she's kind of been the, um, the, the, the person that's been attributed to making physical literacy sort of mainstream. And then it's, it, it's then her definition, um, that was taken and then tried, you know, crafted by other organizations, um, to try to spin it and, and fit their needs. So the, the challenge was really, to try to keep the intent of what physical literacy really is meant to be. And, and that's really, again, it's, it's that disposition to try to be physically active and, and in the enjoyment piece, enjoy being physically active for life. Yeah, and I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, this, some of this stems from, you know, the, at least my impression of this and sort of stories I may have been told that may not be true or, a lot of this stemmed from sort of the obesity rise that occurred, and certainly in the United States and Canada lag behind. You guys are little laggers behind us in getting people fat, you know, um, which is a good thing to be lagging in. Um, and then, that used to be true. Sorry, Sam. That right, used you to be up true. With us. We have caught up. Yeah. Well, congratulations, I guess, or an order for <laughs> that, right? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, not, you know... It, as a proud American, I'll say, you know, when other countries said they caught up with us, somebody's like, well, good for you guys. In this case, I'm like, no, I'm sorry to hear that uh, part of it. Um, and I shouldn't make light of it, but it, it's it just a bizarre world that we live in with this uh, part of it. But so am, am I kind of correct in understanding it's a little bit of the history of, of Canada looking at this, getting people more physically active and, and uh, you know, uh, sports for life uh, movements and those sorts of things. Maybe help me understand a little bit about what was going on during that time. Sure, for sure. I, I would say around the early 2000s, um, you know, probably 2002, 2003 to be a little more specific, our uh, Ministry of Health and um, Ministry of Education uh you know, got the brilliant notion of, hey, we should work together. And um, health came because health, and I'm sure it's, it's the same in the state, your departments of health have the money, education doesn't. So health had the dollars and they, they had the foresight to, to figure out that, hmm, population health is, uh, is, is decreasing overall. People are more physically inactive. There's an inactivity crisis globally. 
we can capture a generation that is there, that young generation in the schools. So why don't we work with schools on developing some sort of physical activity programs? And so that's, that's how it first started. Health approached education and said, let's work together. Except the problem is, uh, you know, I'll speak for our, our, our ministries here, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's across the board. Uh, they don't know how to co- uh, collaborate. They, they know they just can't work together. So um, that's generally how it started. Health came to education saying, uh, we want to impact the, the youth, the children, because they're going to be the future. Healthcare budgets are not sustainable. Uh, we need to make an impact with that. So that's really the genesis of how this started. And I, I've also, you know, again, these may be urban legends that um, with with Vancouver receiving the games, that what part, if any, did that play or how did they become kind of involved in this? Because there's also this LTAD stuff that was coming around at about the same time. And it, it just seemed like a lot of things were going on around around this space, both in terms of physical activity as well as more high performance focused sport. Absolutely. With Vancouver being awarded the the Winter Olympics for 2010, uh, our premier at the time, just like any leader of any province or country, when they get awarded, says, we want the fittest population to host ever. And so that's what they tried to do. And then they poured uh, tons of dollars in to try to, you know, work with amateur sport, work on health prevention. So that's where the, the money, the seed money came for that. But again, you know, those those are um, not necessarily photo ops, but they're it's around public perception. Uh, there's there's the optics that we're doing something about it, but there's no accountability around what actually happened. Like, okay, so we want it to be the fittest uh, population to ever host. Like, that's a it's an unsubstantiated claim. How do, how do you how do you defend that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it sounds really good, but how do you how do you actually measure that and uh, and do it is is a much different challenge uh, for sure uh, with that. So, um, well, let's swing back around to physical literacy here. And in your mind, what encompasses physical literacy? And what what does that mean and involve besides this definition? If you're actually out working with a group of kids, what is it that shows that a kid is physically literate? That's a great question, Sam. Um, I'm good I, at asking questions. The answers <laughs> I often have trouble with. I think with physical literacy, really, what we what we look at is um, why why do people engage in physical activity? If we think of the reason why most people engage, like the general population, they're engaging in it because they enjoy the activity. Very few people are actually engaging because they're really good at it. And so the physical literacy, I call it the physical literacy lens, looks at how we get people engaging in activity and and how many opportunities, how many different ways they can get in. The traditional focus has been just through that movement competence. So the skill, are you good at it? And, again, you know, as I, I, you know, being the phys ed teacher, I'm, whenever I'm walking and, and out in the public, I'm always looking at how people move and mm. if people are running and, and doing things, I'm, I'm wondering why are they doing that. And so when I, you know, when I see people run, um, I 
wonder why they are running. And for the most part, I'm guessing that they run because they enjoy the activity or they know the health benefits and that's why they're doing it. But for the most part, they enjoy the activity. They're not doing it because they're really good at it. Um, the really good at it piece comes later on uh, down down the road. But the, the key is that they enjoy it and they're participating. So, you know, when you're trying to work with kids uh, and trying to, you know, a, a good physical education setting attends to all those aspects that it, it tends to the motivation. It attends to, you know, making sure the kids are enjoying it, having fun, but also that they are getting better and then and building their confidence. So a good physical education program does that. Um, and, and that's really, you know, the separation between physical education and physical literacy. Physical literacy is that outcome of what a quality physical education experience should be. So if the kids are just, you know, drill and kill and, and you just have to get better and focus on getting better, but the kids hate the experience, that's that's not a physical literacy experience. Um, so if, so what's your take on the landscape on where, you know, in, in your in your area that you're looking at, I'll, I'll just ask you to speak to, you know, Vancouver area or maybe places you visit in Canada and the U.S. where you've, done some workshops or, or talks or things like that. Um, what is it that you see is lacking in terms of delivering this message of physical literacy? What's, uh, what's lacking in the, in the delivery is the, is the mass confusion around what physical literacy is. Um, for people in our space, um, you know, they, they, they look at physical literacy uh, synonymously with phys ed, with sport, and with physical activity. So they're kind of used as synonyms in, that, in, in our space. Outside of our space, like when I talk to uh, you know, a classroom teacher uh, around physical, hey, have you heard of physical literacy? They go, Is that, does that mean like you're moving when you're reading? <laughs> so uh, you know, people don't, don't know the term or, or, or they take it in the literal sense. So um the, the biggest challenge everywhere has been just the the mass confusion around what it is so one of the things we need to do one of the, the bears you need to overcome is just maybe the terminology and um my, my buddy a buddy of mine a colleague in in this space as well we've tried to think for years of a, of a better term for it that uh that makes sense and i i think one night we we came up with one, but we didn't remember it the next morning. It could have to do with the beers we were drinking during the time, and we should have written it down. But I'm gonna reach out to him and go if he, it, see if he's ever remembered it. But uh, it's never popped back up on a, on a great term. I think we went to we parted ways that night, going that's it, that's the term. And then the next morning, I can't remember what it was, dude. Sorry, um, on there. But you know that's a real problem if if people are thinking it's like you said, reading while walking. Oh man, I you know, yeah, that's a that's a, a barrier to overcome for sure is just uh, getting people to understand what we're talking about. The, the other barrier too, Sam, is that uh, that whole literacy term is just being co-opted. Um, you know, you've got everything attaching itself to literacy. Uh, you've got statistical literacy, critical literacy, uh, financial literacy, musical literacy, 
um, you know, it like it, it just loses its meaning. Yeah, that's a really good point. I had, I had not thought about that. You're right. That term literacy is connected to a lot of other things for sure. Yeah. So why why should we why, why should we care about this? I mean, I, I come from, I, I think just in our brief conversation before this, I get a sense you and I are probably of a, of, of a similar age where we just went out and did this stuff. I mean, you know, I, I certainly had PE classes in school, but I don't, but I'm not remembering anything that was like, okay, we're learning new movement patterns, anything. A lot of times it was, here's a volleyball, here's the basic rules, now go play. But we were outside doing free play a lot, and I, I, I probably feel like I picked up more of what we think about phys- physical literacy in some ways through that free play of learning to kind of, you know, run, jump, throw, catch, swim, I, I, you know, climb trees, I don't know, whatever else may fall onto that, uh, and do it. So where where have we gone wrong? Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. uh, how much time I, I'll, come ba- I'll come back in an hour when you're done with this one because you're right. I, I did, yeah, that, I did tee up a big one there, didn't I? Yeah, on that. I mean, certainly, the, you know, this, this generation now is certainly not as active um, and for a variety of reasons. I mean, it's easy to pin the tail on, on and point the finger at just technology. But... Um, I mean, we look at our, our built environments. Uh, it's you know a lot of the a lot of cities now are not walkable, and so uh, we don't have these little small towns and, and communities where it's okay and easy to <clears throat> to walk around. So active transportation is not really uh, it's it's being sort of engineered out of our our lifestyle. In terms of kids going out to play, uh, play looks different now. Um, you know, play is really more structured. Uh, it's it's kids being driven from one sport to another sport to another activity. Um, you're right. A lot of the you know the fundamental movement skills that we would have acquired as kids in just free play um, is again gone. So the whole proponent around physical literacy is that you have to develop fundamental movement skills and uh you know early iterations of organizations trying to push physical literacy were saying that's what physical literacy was if you develop fundamental movement skills then you were going to be physically literate and and to a certain extent um that's true but that's just not that's not the only piece of it so um you know it it's really just trying to get we we need to have kids moving more people not just kids people moving more uh but moving properly i think is also important yeah i, th- I think that's a big big part of it um a, a couple of things came to mind as you were talking about kids being driven from activity to activity and i i, I just i realized that i well i won't say i never because there were there were times i made a few all-star teams as, as a kid where my parents had to drive me to practice because it was across town because just it was a, a city all-star team. So, you know, practice had to be somewhere. Somebody was going to have to drive somewhere across town to get to it. But during the regular season, until I reached high school, I could walk or ride my bike to every practice I ever had. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there were no club sports in my town. 
Um, it was all kind of school or, uh, or kind of boys club uh, related, but the practices were in my neighborhood in, a, in an open field that um, I think is now a, now a Walgreens pharmacy, I think is on there if I remember right. Um, but you know, I, yeah, my parents, I mean, for one thing, I could be very self-sufficient. I mean, there were times my parents drove me to practice, I'll admit, but typically it was because either they were going that way or maybe it was, you know, kind of bad weather and didn't want to ride my bike the mile and a half over there or something like that or something along those lines. But I didn't have to do that. And, um, I, I know too many of my friends right now, it's like, yeah, you know, it's the 30 minute drive across town to get to soccer practice or hockey practice. And then. And then, you know, they don't want to drive another 30 minutes back and then go back and get the kids, so they tend to hang out there too, which is, I, you know, something my parents never came to watch a practice. They certainly didn't stick around for it. I mean, I can't think of how boring that must have been, would have been for them. Yeah. <laughs> they there, there's things to do with their life. Yeah. Exactly. A couple things that, uh, you know, that resonated for me that you mentioned there. One, one word was neighborhood. And, and I think that whole the whole concept of the neighborhood um, as a hub uh, is gone. Um, just you know, I, I, exactly as you as you said, neighborhood. I went right back to my childhood. There was a park like a, a block and a half away, or a football field, and that's where I you know I would go and and punt footballs and, and kick field goals, um, or I'd take the golf club and and hit balls around there. Uh, on our street, we played street hockey again with all the kids in the neighborhood. Um, so there, there were things that we did that were, you know, free play that we did that kind of stuff. And then if we were playing organized sport, again, the field was a block and a half away. So, um, that whole neighborhood piece is gone. And then secondly, just, you're right, the whole landscape now of kids sport, um, has been taken over by, you know, the sportpreneur and that's become billion dollar business. And, uh, that, that's a whole separate topic on its own, but. Those are the two biggest things that that I think have impacted why kids aren't playing just free playing in their neighborhoods. Yeah, I well I think in, in a, a neighborhood I lived here in Colorado Springs, and, and we're just under half a million people, so we're we're pretty big and we're actually pretty spread out too. And is that the the kids in that one neighborhood I lived in um, went to four different schools now some of them went to private schools a couple went one one went to a catholic school um and then um our kids went to the actually the nearby public school and um you know our kids were the only ones who went to that public school so while the kids kind of knew each other they were also on such different schedules that they got together and played from time to time and did stuff but um there, there wasn't that same connection to it and you know there's there's great things about having lots of choice in schools and being able to do it around, but it does, when, when a neighborhood like that is split up, whereas in the neighborhood I grew up in, we all went to the same elementary school. A um, couple of kids might have gone to private school, and I certainly did in high school. And um, But by that point in time, your life is really different anyway um, on there. Um, nah, well, we reminisce about how great things were when... We were younger, and any young any young person listening to this would just go, "My God, these old people are back talking about how great it was when they were kids." <laughs> For sure, Guilty. yeah. My my experiences are, are similar to what you uh, just said as well. So one of the challenges is we have a lot of folks talking about physical literacy and. And I'll throw long-term athlete development in there as well, or American Development Model for those in the U.S. Um, 
and one of the things that uh, that some of my colleagues and I talk about, and if you if you follow this world closely and you follow on social media, you'll you'll people will know who I'm referring to, but I don't feel like calling his name out. I, I like him too much, but we talk about we we talk a lot about theory and and um, kind of structure an idea, but then the implementation part seems to be hard. So how do we move from kind of theory and talking about this to implementation? Yeah, again, that's just another great question. Um, trying the implementation is always the challenge, um, and and having that bridge moving from talk to actual doing. Um, I don't think programs are that far off. Actually, uh, when I when I did a presentation to with um, uh, Shape America back in I think 2013 and when physical literacy was just first, the term was first being introduced to shape America. Um, and you know, I was trying to, you know, calm the teachers down and saying, Hey, you know, don't worry. Like physical literacy is not, it's not something new in the sense that you have to go and change everything that you're doing or, or try to add something to your, uh, to your menu. If you're, if you're doing running quality programs, then you're, you're probably already doing this. So, I think it, it's a little bit of an awareness piece of understanding that, you know, you, you're trying to focus on, yeah, the kids getting better. So that competence piece, um, you're trying to focus on the, um, the enjoyment, making sure the kids are enjoying, especially in a, um, in a club or a sport community sports setting where, you know, the, the kids self select. So it's very different than a school situation where the kids are all there. Um, but in that self-selection piece, you know, they're, they're clients. And I actually tell teachers that you should think of our kids as clients too, because, uh, we are selling a product and and we need to make sure that the kids are enjoying it, but then they're getting something out of it, i.e. they're learning and they're getting better. So the, the implementation piece really, you know, for me is that, People need to understand, take take stock, self-reflect. What are they doing? What aspects? Where are their gaps? So if they're if they're too focused on the competence piece, um, okay, then back off of that and and because look at the impact that you're doing. Because more than you know, traditional phys ed has been focused around competence, and they're trying to drive compliance with participation, right? So you to force the kids to dress out and and take part. Um, and then it's, I call it a lottery effect with, um, enjoyment and, um, motivation. And so I think it's, you know, I want to say it's ass backwards. I think we want to look at how do we get, how do we get people involved in activity? Well, yes, people don't do things that they suck at. So that competence piece is important, but it shouldn't be the primary driver. I think people do activities because they enjoy it. And so in phys ed, that's what we want to focus on. Um, and in sport programs, rec programs, we want to make sure the kids have fun. All the research shows kids participate in sports, youth sports, because it's fun, right. not for championships, not for banners. And so we're missing that fun aspect. But the good coaches and good teachers are able to disguise the learning in the fun. So it's not just, you know, throw a ball out and let them play and, you know, 
use a stopwatch, okay, shift, you know, change and whatever. Any, anybody can do that without any training. It's how it's a good master teacher and a master coach that is able to disguise learning in the activities that the kids are doing. And the kids go, yeah, that was really fun. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I'm thinking about some, you know, movies that kind of there was a, a hot slew of movies there about teachers who were doing, you know, remarkable things with kids that, you know, were, you know, the the kids who were put off in the class were all the dumb kids, you know, who weren't going to mount to anything. I, I sort of think of the uh, the calculus teacher in L.A. Uh, um, whose name just Jaime Escalante, who, you know, took those kids and did that. And he kind of disguised teaching them calculus by talking about basketball. And, you know, before they knew it, they had learned because he put it in a way that did disguise the learning, but it made it fun and enjoyable and, and it related. They could relate to it. At least, you know, most of the kids or a lot of kids in there could. And um, and, and that's an amazing skill. I, I'm sort of, you know, we need we need the Jaime Escalante. Maybe this is you of the for the physical literacy PE world to, you know, light the fire and, and maybe have a movie made about you one day. <laughs> yeah, it, it's exactly that. It's the teachers that know how to connect with the kids, know how to make the content relevant. Whatever the subject area is, they they know how to make it relevant. They're not stuck in one in one um, one paradigm. Um, you know, like you say, if they're if they're looking at calculus, I mean, math is all around us. So yes. how how do we make, how that teacher knows how to make that math come alive? Yeah. So maybe can you share some of the successes you've had? You don't need to name systems or anything like that, obviously, but just some situations you went in, what you saw, and then what you were able to do to help them make it a better environment. I think with, um, in, in terms of success, it, it's, yeah, again, that's a real challenge um, because we, we don't really, we don't evaluate programs. Uh, we get a lot of anecdotal information. And, and so, you know, we, we hear that programs are doing well, but, you know, how do we actually go and measure that? Um, talks, workshops that I give to teachers, uh, they, you know, they walk out of there like, oh, yeah, this is a great way to, I never thought about this, and I'm going to go back and, and, and go and do something. And then when they do share what they do uh, through social media, you know, I get to see, okay, yeah, that, you know, that teacher, um, there's a success story there. Um, so I don't get to hear a lot of the successes. Um, very few people actually, you know, reach out and, and share their practice, uh, on social media with me. And for those that do, I'm very grateful and I, and I always recognize them for that. But generally it's, I, I think when, when you have a teacher or a coach that comes to a workshop, um, looking to get better and looking for professional development and professional learning that you know they're going to go back and, and do something with it. And so the people that usually show up at workshops are, are not usually the problem. <laughs> very, very few people that come to the workshops are the naysayers. I mean, there's a few there. They may not buy into your philosophy, but they're still going to go back and try and do something. Uh, for me, it's the people that, that aren't there 
how do I get to them? How do we impact them and change them? Because that, that's where we can, um, that would be a measure of success. Uh, you know, when I was working in my school district position, um, I used to do after school workshops. Uh, you know, things like, okay, I call them my ABCs of PE series. Um, and I targeted elementary teachers because in our, in our school district, we didn't have uh, PE specialists. They were generalist teachers. So the classroom teacher did their own phys ed. Oh. And so it was a, it was a lottery in terms of, you know, some of them had the skill and many of them didn't. And, and if they didn't have the skill, they usually defaulted to the way they were taught. So, you know, if they had dodgeball all the time or kickball all the time, well, that's what they did. And, and so I, you know, designed workshops to, to try to attract them because they were, quote, my clients. And so I, you know, try to market and frame it, ABCs of PE, you can do it series, I called it. And I did volleyball and basketball and, um, you know, football and track and like it, all the different sports. And then uh, what I found was that the ones that kept coming were the keeners anyways. So I wasn't seeing, and I, you know, I apologize for stereotyping, but I wasn't seeing that, that, that teacher in her high heels and skirt that goes into the gym to teach phys ed. Yeah. That's who I needed to see. So I stopped doing my after school workshops and started going into the schools and, and started developing programs where I could get into the school and work with that teacher uh, with their class and their kids. And so that, that was the approach I took for the, my last uh, 10 to 12 years in my district position. And, and, and that's, that's where you get the best um, uh, growth really with, with the teacher. They, they get to see it with their kids and they get to see you demonstrate with their kids and then, and then they pick up on what you're trying to do. Very good. And, and so now you have, um, what's the name of your organization? Uh, the Quality Coaching Collective. Okay. Is, is that the one you're referring to? Uh, that's one of, uh, yeah, that's one that I was uh, connected you with. And um, so one of the things that you mentioned is the workshops that you offer. If someone comes to that workshop, what would they, what would they experience? If, if I, if I signed up for one, you know, next month with you, um, and came up, what would, what would you do with me? Uh, depending on the, on the workshop, but for sure, what I, uh, what you would walk away with is, um, new thinking, um, activities and uh, things that you can do immediately, like tomorrow, because that, that was sort of a hallmark of my workshops was um, I, I show it to you today and you can implement it tomorrow. Um, it, it's very simple. Uh, the other thing that you would walk out of there with is that I would guarantee to push your thinking. Because, um, again, I want, I want teachers, just like I want the kids to think when they come into, the, into my classroom, which is the gym, um, I want teachers to think as well uh, when they go into the gym and, and force their kids to think. So, you know, the, treat the gym as, as a classroom, which it is. But you definitely walk away with uh, skills and activities, uh, a handout, a resource that, that you can use uh, tomorrow. Um, you, know, you, you know, you mentioned that the, the, the gym is a, is a classroom too, and, and the thought that just popped in my head and ha happens oftentimes when I'm talking to folks is, you know, 
Yeah, you know, the sad part is it's kind of siloed. And I like the fact that you said you were going into the classroom with those teachers and doing it there where PE is not just something you do over in the gym. Being physically active is all day, everywhere kind of thing. And at one time, there seemed to be this movement in education to try to have more integration that people understood that, you know, math and science didn't develop in a vacuum. There were historical things that were going on that may have led to that or that came about from it. And I kind of think PE sometimes needs that, that's integration. It's not just something you do over here from, you know, 115 to, you know, to, you know, 145, and then you go back and you learn, you know, Pythagorean theorem after that. Um, yeah, Sam, it's very similar to um, when technology was first into, uh, introduced into schools and and schools um, school district organizations were embracing technology like crazy throwing millions of dollars in hardware acquisition uh, software licensing uh, developing policies etc and and the big push um, you know mid 90s early 2000s was around integrating technology and you know, schools and, and districts develop their plans around, okay, how are you going to integrate technology? Um, and the, the problem with all of that was, like, the push was great, but the way that, again, people operationalized or implemented it was you were in your classroom, you did your stuff, then you would go down to your computer lab, and, and you know, your kid's school might have been the same experience. You go to the computer lab for that technology experience, and then you come back to your class and you do whatever. Yeah. And and that's not integration. That's not integrating technology. Integrating technology, like we're almost there. We are there now with mobile devices because when when we integrate technology, we use technology when we need it right away. We don't you don't save like okay, geez, I need to go make a, a phone call. Well, I'll wait till I get out. That we used to have to do that, right? Go to a phone <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. That that. Technology has to be seamless. Yeah. And so, um, you know, physical education, so the parallel that I'm trying to draw is that PE is in that same boat where people think that to, to get a physical education experience, it's only done in the gym or on a field. And, and yes, there are aspects that you need a gym and a field. There are other aspects that you can deliver in a classroom setting. Um, or in a multi, you know, in a hallway or, or whatever. So there, there's ways around um, meeting learning standards and competencies in physical education that you don't have always have to have a gym. But yeah, the danger, think, yeah. sorry, danger is is that when um, physical activity gets substituted for physical education. Yeah, go ahead. So. Uh, physical activity uh, again you know here uh, uh, sort of a daily daily physical activity dpa initiatives have sprouted uh, across north america and again you know the intent of it was to address the physical inactivity uh, crisis especially with you know growing uh, childhood obesity uh, levels so the intent was there yes we want kids more active but what was happening was, okay, the activities that were being put in, pushed into classrooms, kids would be doing stuff, and then teachers think, okay, well, I've done my, my phys ed. And all they've done is just had the kids move. 
So physical activity is just around doing stuff. There's no learning intentions behind it. You're not evaluating um, the quality of the movement or anything. You're just having the kids move and do stuff, which is great. But don't say that that's your phys ed program. Yeah, I, I think one the, the your LinkedIn article I thought was really nice about describing that. I, I think that's a really great thing of, um, of of distinguishing the two because, yeah, I mean you can just get a walk around the classroom for thirty minutes in a circle or square, and yep, that's physical activity. But one, they certainly haven't learned anything, and they I, I doubt they're going to be super motivated and uh, to go out and walk outside if they're just spending their time walking around or the inside of a gym for that matter either. And what else have you taught exactly. them to do? You, you've not taught them how to how to do anything that might be useful in you know in a, in a sport or other activity recreational setting. And that that's kind of one of the things I you know when I look at physical literacy, and um, I I saw this from a, a group of candidate, maybe in Sport for Life at one time had a had like this chart that says you know if you can't do mm-hmm. this then here's the sports you'll never be able to play. And, you know, I looked at everything that was on that list, and I I think everything I learned as a kid, some of it probably in gym class. Um, I, I know that's why I learned how to play volleyball for the first time ever. It was not something we did in our neighborhood, but it was certainly in a, in a PE class. And, you know, okay, great. Now I know how to do that. Now, you know, as I grew up, I never played, you know, you know, in, in a formal volleyball league until I was in, gosh, graduate school, I think was the first time. But I had, I played it a little bit as a kid, so I had that movement skill. I wasn't learning it, and it gave me enough confidence to go, okay, I'll sign up for the team at, you know, in the lowest D level league we had, and stuff. But I'm, I'm, I'm confident, and I've got a little bit of confidence in here. And I'll pick it up, and some other people would help me out. But I don't know that I would have done that if I had never had that experience of at least being exposed to it in, in PE. Yeah, that exposure piece is huge. Um, yeah, again, that, that brings up another um, a train of thought is that um, too, too many phys ed programs just focus on exposure. And, and so then the kids don't really get to develop any type of skill. So that, that's also another, another challenge on its own. But, you know, you mentioned that sport for life, um, graphic where if you can't run, jump and throw or swim, um, you can't preclude you from doing a whole bunch of sports. When I first saw that, I, I, I thought that was brilliant. Now I look at it and thinking, yeah, I, I don't know if I'd say if, if you, if you can't, um, I maybe turn it around that you might not. Yeah. I mean, you can, I mean, there's always things that people learn as, as an adult. I mean, I, I recently took up white warrior kayaking, which was not something I was exposed to as a, as a kid, I'd spent some time on lakes and rivers, but to be swimming or in a, you know, power boat skiing behind it. But I, I did take it up, but I think part of that was because I felt confident in my athleticism other way around that I could pick it up and, and, do okay and um, I've survived every trip down the river so far so to me that's the winning and <laughs> whitewater kayaking and, and I've had fun doing it too but um, yeah and I, I think certainly there are people who learn sports later in life I've got plenty of friends who were you know adults out of college who played tennis for the first time or golf and things like that uh, for sure but most of them that I can think of were 
you know, did sports as, when they were kids. It seems like the folks I know who were inactive in high school, maybe they were in drama club or in band. Not not saying band's not active. Marching band's pretty active. But, um, you know, they end up coming and, and running because I'm an avid runner. I've been running for 40 years. Love running. But it's a pretty low skill sport when it comes down to it. I mean, I you know, first to admit, doesn't take the most coordination in the world to, you know, go out and run for 30 or 45 minutes and hopefully not trip on the trail um, with that. But, you know, I also wonder, would they, you know, are there other sports out there that they may have found more enjoyable, but, you know, at this point in time, they don't want to go try uh, adult soccer league because, you know, one is the fear is that everybody is so much better than they are and, and they won't be accepting me. But I've seen some soccer leagues around, adult soccer leagues around here and, some of them really aren't that good. You you know, you you could pick it up pretty quickly and do okay, I think, just in my observation of the of a one local adult game that I saw that a friend of mine was in um, with that. So it, it's not too late to try sport sampling. You know, I've, like I said, I, I tried kayaking when I was in my 30s for the first time, and then I took it back up again in my 50s. So, it, damn it, it's not too late to try sport sampling. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of points I want to touch on. Yeah, go for it. That you mentioned there. Um, you know, the the running, yeah, it's a low skill, but there is still a correct way, a correct sure. technique to run, right? And and that's and as long when you have that correct technique, you base and you maintain your body, you are pretty well injury free. And when you are running incorrectly, um, you know, your form is not correct, your, you know, your foot strike or your heel strike or whatever. Yep. Um, that's when you get that repetitive injury um, or the repetitive use causes the injury. So, you know, yes, running is a low skill, um, simple skill, but there, we still need to teach the correct technique for that. Yes. And then, uh, you know, when you, when you talked about the kids in the classroom walking around in laps, yeah, that's going to be boring. That's the same when we we in a phys ed class when we tell the kids to go run laps around the field. Oh, that's yeah. boring. Oh yeah. And and, and so how are we how are we turning kids on to running? Um, if, we, if that's their experience in in a phys ed class to go run laps. So uh, how you know how again how we disguise that like for me I I run not because I enjoy it I run because I know the health benefits. <laughs> But I would much prefer running, chasing someone, or being chased. Yes. So yeah. that you know, for me, that's where I like to get my running in. And then, so you know, that takes me to the gameplay. When you talked about soccer, um, I think there's a whole there's a whole um, different uh, framework for for teaching games. It's called the teaching games for understanding model. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've heard of that, the TGFU model. A little bit. And, and it categorizes all all the different games in, into four categories. So the the first category are are called target games. So that'd be things like bowling, curling, darts, golf, bocce, um, where you know you're you're sending an object towards the target. Right. And then the, the second category are called fielding striking. So like uh, uh, softball, baseball, t-ball, cricket would be that rounders would be that example mm-hmm. and the third category would be called uh, net and wall games so any any tennis badminton volleyball anything going across a net pickleball um cpac takra uh is huge in in uh, south asian sports uh, or countries 
uh, or racquetball, you know, squash would be wall games. And mm-hmm. then the, and then the, 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 I call it the granddaddy of, um, categories or games is the territorial and invasive. So right. hockey, football, soccer, rugby, right? Those those games, those categories is, is really what I don't think we do a good job in schools um, breaking down the game categories and teaching according to the categories and the characteristics. And that's why people are reluctant to participate and engage in different activities because we haven't scaffolded the learning from progressing from those target games all the way up to the invasive games. Um, you know, when you, when you talk about people and the skills that like, yeah, they may not have the skills in soccer, but, or, or in basketball, but you, you still need to know where to go and what to do in basketball and in soccer. Otherwise you can just, you can run around and never see the ball. Yeah, true. Very good. So, so the tactical piece is huge in games play, which we, we don't do a good enough job in, in classes, phys ed classes. Yeah. Good kind of a well-rounded discussion here on on uh, different aspects of this, and you know a lot of this goes back to one, one of the early questions that I um, I put on the sheet, and I don't know if I actually formally asked or not asked or not is like you know why should we care about it? And I think that that's the mm-hmm. answer right there is that you know when when we expose kids to these things at, at a young age, then it just gives them so many more opportunities of things that they can do in, in their later life and, and choices and options that are, are social things as well. And we, we certainly know the data, at least here, here in the U.S. anyway, the data shows that folks who are involved in social activities as they get older, um, one, tend to view life healthier and more positively and also tend to live longer. Um, you know, at least there's some data pointing that way and there's some confounding stuff in there that may, you know, when you really dive into it, but I think it's pretty good that making those social connections and one of the ways we can do that is through, you know, lifelong physical activities and you get the benefit of all the good things that come along with being physically active, you know, all the decreased mortality statistics as well. And, um, and if we, if we don't do this, we, we, we potentially eliminate people from doing that because they never had the exposure to it or never learned to appreciate it or, my, my, my soapbox issue is making people run laps as punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in fact, I, I taught at a, a college where we had a lot of ex-military people and they all hated running and partly because they were made to run the army and they were running, you know, carrying packs and, you know, it was not, you know, it was not running for fun. But I, I point out to them, some of them, I said, I bet when you played, you know, team sports to a couple of them, and when you miss free throws, what did your coach make you do? And said, well, we'd either run or do wall squats. I said, yeah, how do you feel about running and wall squats now? You go, oh, I hate them. Said, yeah, because you associate with them with punishment. They weren't enjoyable activities for you. And maybe you're never going to you know, really enjoy running, but at least you know you might tolerate it. And by the way, I admire you, Glenn, for um, even though you don't love running, you go out and do it. I always admire the people who understand the health benefits and go out and do it anyway. Um, that, I, that's very admirable. Uh, to me yeah no i mean i don't dislike running but uh <laughs> given there's the tr- a there's a resounding endorsement for it right there you know i don't dislike it so yeah i, I mean some when i haven't run for a while like when i travel to a, a different city 
Yeah. I love to run because around the hotel, because then I, I see a nice, uh, oh, yeah. I get a nice tour of the neighborhood. So, um, you know, my last time I was in DC, I went down a trail. I think uh, uh, it was, I can't remember the name of it now, it's escaping me, but it was a trail that runs through the city, a bike path and everything, and you could go for miles and miles. And I like, I ran for an hour. And I haven't run for an hour, Sam, in, in probably over a year. <laughs> there there but, is something uh, about new places that do that does increase my joy of running a, a little bit as well. I, I'll admit with that. So um, good. And trail uh, running uh, is a lot of fun. Trail running, I yes, love trail yes. running. Yeah, I, uh, I I I'm a fairly recent convert to trail running because I I was always really interested in running really fast, which means you want to run as flat as possible. And as I got older and less competitive and lost that competitive drive, the trails become became much more interesting because um, the watch is virtually useless. Your pace has no meaning to it, but um, but it, it's much easier on my body for sure than um, than running on the the sidewalk has been. Um, yeah. Well, Glenn, I um I want I want to thank you for your time, and um, I want to uh, please share with people how they can get in touch with you, follow you on social media, um, all that good stuff. Uh, certainly, yeah. Um, my Twitter handle is at Glenn Young underscore pe, um, and I'm quite active on Twitter. Uh, so you know, it's probably a great way to communicate. Uh, certainly my LinkedIn profile, uh, if people want to access that. And then my email is at glenn2ends.young08 at gmail.com. Cool. And I will, uh, I'll put those in the show notes for folks. So um, if you're out running or exercising or driving your car, listen to this, you don't have to uh, have a wreck or stop your run and try to write that down uh, for folks. Well, cool. Well, Glenn, uh, any any parting thoughts on this topic of physical literacy? Uh, yeah, just one, Sam. I, you know, when you when you talked to that question that you said asked earlier, why should we care about it? Yeah. I thought that's a, a brilliant question, and I had to think about that for a while. But ultimately, um, we should care about it because it's about quality of life, and we're we're trying to achieve that balance in all aspects of our life. So. That's really, you know, why we should strive to to move towards developing some sort of physical literacy. I love that. I, I like the succinctness of that, as long along with the definition that you gave of physical literacy at the start as well. I, those are great. I'm always impressed by people who can be much more succinct and um, and pithy than I can be. <laughs> I try to go with the kiss principle. <laughs> there you go. Very good. All right. Well, Glenn Young. I appreciate you sharing your thoughts on physical literacy and what you've been doing in uh, in this environment. And hopefully we'll get some folks to reach out and increase your Twitter followers and um, and maybe have you on again when you've got some project cooking and uh, maybe we'll run to you here in the States at some point in time. Yes, that sounds great, Sam. Thanks very much. Yep. Really enjoyed the conversation. Yep. Thank you very much, Glenn. Have a great day. You too. Thanks, Sam. So once again, this is Sam Callen, your host of the Smarter Coaching Podcast. Uh, please subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions or comments, you can email me at smartercoachingllc at gmail.com. Thank you very much. Have a great day.